Happy Father's Day. Thanks for being at church this morning. Uh, dads, just so you know, before you leave today, we've built you the ultimate Father's Day gift basket. So this is our gift to you this morning. Uh, we call this the Dad Can Fix Anything basket. So it's a roll of duct tape, a bottle of WD-40, a thing of super glue, and then for when you can't fix it and you turn into a diva, a Snickers bar. All right? So we got you covered. So make sure on your way out the door today, if you're a dad, uh, feel free to grab one of those. They're in our lobby right out here. Just our gift to you. Let you know we appreciate you. Um, it's also it's good to be home. My family's been traveling the last couple of weeks, which has been great. Uh, we, we first off, we got to go on vacation uh, to the beach, which was wonderful. Get away with family. Um, I've learned, though, and I've joked with a couple people this morning, vacationing with kids is not vacation. Just so we're all on the same page. You just get to parent in a different location. And uh, so I'm tired because uh, then we turned around last Sunday, spoke at a church in Cincinnati, went, drove back home to Columbus, picked up my family back down through Cincinnati, and we went to Nashville for four days for the Southern Baptist Convention. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But if you read about it online, everything you're reading, I'm, I'm being dead serious, is not true. Uh, we're a Southern Baptist church, which means we choose to associate and fellowship with 45,000 other churches in America uh, for cooperative mission efforts to globally mobilize almost 5,000 international missionaries and uh, probably about 10,000 uh, domestic missionaries. But the media has gotten a hold of what's happened and twisted and distorted, shocker, everything uh, to paint this really weird narrative. Uh, but just know as a Southern Baptist church, we're still in good hands with those that we choose to cooperate with. And uh, we got to commission 67 international missionaries this past week that are going all over the world. And to give you some perspective on that, uh, they're not just going to places maybe that are safe. Of those 67, probably two-thirds of them had to stand behind a white screen on the stage because they couldn't be put on video. Because if they were put on video, the places that they were going would have captured their image, captured their name, and they could be uh, killed for their faith. And so the gospel is still ringing out uh, around our nation, and that's pretty exciting. I got one more thing I have to tell you, though, okay? And I promise, John 15 is where we're going to be if you want to start turning there. Um, God has, like, done unbelievably more than we could ask or imagine in the past two weeks. And I want to give you some perspective on that. Two weeks ago, right before we left on vacation, we started a new partnership with Bottoms Up, which is a diaper drive program out of Lancaster, Ohio. We asked them if they would be a partner with the Finding Hope Center to help provide diapers to families that needed them. I assumed when they brought this first shipment of diapers that they would bring us like three or four boxes to give away. Bottoms Up showed up with 2,373 diapers for us to give away. And then they coupled that with, they said, and when you need more, just call. You can have as many as you want forever. We, wanna, we love what the Finding Hope Center is doing. That's awesome, okay? Let's keep going. Um, Finding Hope Center has helped a lot of families over the last few weeks, which has been great. Like, that's why that ministry on the other side of this wall exists. But what the struggle was, last Thursday helped several families furnishing houses and apartments, which is wonderful. It's why we do what we do. Um, but the inventory is, like, almost gone at this point. And there's a lot of stuff that we need. But Jesus just continues. He's like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. Just watch what I can do. God's honest truth. Last Sunday, I'm speaking at this church in Cincinnati, and I shared about the Finding Hope Center, because that's what we do. Like, we want to brag on Jesus. I get done at the end of this message, and this lady walks up to me. I can't make this stuff up. She walks up to me, and she's like, hey, Aaron, um, do you want a 60-inch flat-screen television that's brand new? Yes, <laughs> I do. She's like, me and my husband got it. We're not going to be able to use it. We've turned it on one time to make sure it works. We'd love for you guys to give that away. I can do that. 
Then, a couple minutes later, another guy, lady walks up to me. Hey, you said your church is in Powell, yeah? I said, yeah, that's right by Dublin, correct? Mm-hmm. She said, okay, I got a friend in Dublin that's a lawyer that's moving and not taking anything with him. He's just starting over. He has an entire house full of furniture he wants to get rid of. Would you guys want it for your ministry center? Yes, <laughs> we do. Didn't stop there. So I go to Nashville. I get back on Thursday. I come here into the office, and there's a, a check right there, uh, uh, this, this letter. So I open up this letter. It was a $1,000 anonymous donation to the Finding Hope Center because somebody had heard about what God was doing through you all through that ministry. So they wrote this anonymous check, and they said, use it for whatever you need to buy. Good, good thing, because we don't have anything anymore. We've got a lot to buy. It doesn't stop there. Then I go on a Friday night to a VBS in Johnstown, Ohio, this little church, uh, never met them before, had talked to them online a couple of times. Their congregation maybe has 50 people in it. They did a VBS this week, and for their VBS, they adopted the Finding Hope Center as their mission project. The lady that was running the VBS told me, she said, Aaron, we might collect 50 to $100. That's the goal for this week through our VBS, had maybe 20, 25 kids at their VBS. I said, that's awesome, though. With, with that money, we can buy at least two mattresses. You're going to help some families that need some help. Y'all, at the end of their VBS, we went there Friday night with my family, and we were able to share about what God was doing through our church and ministry. They collected almost $800 to be able to give, and they gave it all to the Finding Hope Center. They didn't stop there. This, y'all, this is all seven days, okay? So when we say we're living in the middle of a miracle, this is what I'm talking about. I get a phone call on Monday from LifePoint Church over in Lewis Center. You've probably heard of them before. LifePoint Church is moving into their brand new building in just a few weeks, and they're getting rid of like all of the furniture inside of their church, couches, chairs, desks, office chairs, everything we need. And they said, we were just going to give it away to church planters, and then somebody said, what if we called Living Hope? I bet their ministry center would take it all. Guess where we get to go in three weeks and pick up couches, love seats, chairs? In seven days, God did all of that. And when we had a need, he provided. Like, that's awesome. And uh, I'm a little excited about that. So when I say, like, we're living in the middle of a miracle, Ephesians 3.20, God doing immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, like, that's the stuff I'm talking about. That's what I'm here for because Jesus is just showing off at this point. Hey, John 15, if you have a Bible, if you'll turn there with me. Continuing our series, uh, we're calling Asking for a Friend. And uh, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. John 15, Jesus is speaking. We're going to read verses 18 through 21. And here's what he says. Jesus says, If the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. And remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Verse 21. But they will do all of these things to you on, my, on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Lord, thank you that we can just take a few moments and talk about how much you're doing in our lives and in our church. I'm reminded of what David says in the Psalms, where he's going to recount your works from generation to generation. Because, God, you're worthy of our praise, and we never want to forget your faithfulness to us. And the little things and the big things, we never want to forget how good you are to us. So, Lord, I pray now as we walk through these verses together that you would strengthen your church. Would you give us ears to hear from you, God, soft hearts to not only hear, but also to receive this word. 
God, in the hands and feet to live this out as you send us as missionaries into the world the rest of this week. Would you move among us today, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, over the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, you've tuned in online or maybe listened on the radio, we've been in this series asking for a friend where uh, to catch you up. It's basically a series where people have submitted questions to us over the past couple of months, and we try to answer those questions from a biblical worldview. Two weeks ago, Pastor Joe talked to us about if uh, the law doesn't save me, do I really still need to follow the law? How does that all work, function, and operate? It was really timely because we had just finished up with Galatians chapter 3 in our journey through Galatians, which we're just taking a break from through the summer. I encourage you, if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it. That was very, very helpful. And last week, Eric Foster was here, and he talked us through the uh, why and the how of studying the Bible. Eric, if you didn't know, is a masterful preacher and expositor of God's Word, and I'm so thankful that he was able to be here as well. So if you didn't listen to that one, you need to go back and you need to listen to that too. But today, I'm going to deal with this question that somebody had asked us a few months ago, and it's, what do I do when I'm rejected for my faith? What do I do when I'm rejected for my faith? Or how do, let's add to that a little bit. How do I actually deal with that? When I'm rejected for my faith, if I share my faith, if I'm the kind of individual that I live out my faith, if I speak my faith in everyday life, and the response from people is less than ideal, what do I do? Now, to answer this question, I'm going to have to ask you to let me take a few liberties this morning. Because what we're trying to do is we're taking a statement that somebody wrote on a piece of paper or submitted through an online platform, and we're trying to fully grasp what they meant because these are anonymous questions. And so every week we have to take some interpretive liberties to hopefully understand more in depth what folks were asking through these questions. So I want to make a few assumptions, take a few liberties. To answer the question, what do I do when I'm rejected for my faith, there's three assumptions that we have to make here. And I want us to, to hear these from a, a humble heart, okay? Assumption number one that we have to make is that we're actually living out our faith as Christians, right? To be rejected for a faith, you actually have to be living out that faith. Second uh, John, verse 4, calls this walking in the truth. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, uh, Jesus, he says this is walking in the light. Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 16, that this is living or walking by the Spirit, so when we say that we're living out our faith, ultimately to maybe be rejected for that, what does it really mean? I could sum it up in this phrase. If you're living out your faith, it means there should be a marked difference in your life. That your life should look different than those who don't know Jesus yet. It means there should be a marked difference in how you spend your time. There should be a marked difference in where you spend your time. There should be a marked difference in the things that you prioritize in your life. There should be a marked difference in how you live. And so to answer the question first, what do I do or how do I deal with being rejected for my faith? First off, let's make the assumption that we're living out our faith. Here's the second assumption we have to make. We have to assume that we're living, or not, I'm sorry, not living. We have to assume that we're speaking our faith. Friends, I want us to hear this this morning. We are living in a moment of peril, chaos, and insanity in our culture. Let's just be honest on issues of gender, sexuality, race, on issues of political parties, on, so, man, let's just get religion, marriage, ready? We have lost our minds. We have gone crazy. 
The only word to, to really describe it is insanity, is what we see in our culture. And what's happening, why is this happening? Because our world naturally is functioning opposed to God. It's functioning in direct opposition to God. We're living out the Genesis 3 curse. Do you remember what the snake told Adam and Eve? Did God really say that? Yes, he did. He did. But when we don't know Jesus, we choose to live in direct opposition to those things. So what does the world need? It needs Christians and Jesus followers who speak truth into darkness, who speak truth into false lies. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says that our job as Christians left here on this planet is to plead with people as ambassadors for Christ to get right with Jesus, be reconciled to God. And the insanity that we see is only remedied by the Jesus that we know. And so we plead with people, get right with Jesus. We're speaking truth into all of these things on all of these issues. We're saying, no, no, Jesus says this. Jesus is the solution. No, you need to give your life to Jesus. And we're speaking all of that stuff. And understand, when you do that, you'll have to face some rejection as a Christian. So the second assumption that we have to make is we're actually speaking our faith. And here's the very last one, and this one's important. We also have to assume that we're sharing our faith. This is a little bit different. In Acts 1, verse 8, when right before Jesus ascended up into heaven after his earthly ministry, he told his disciples, over 120 of them, he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which is important, but also you will be my witnesses. It means you take the things that you've seen and experienced and you tell them to somebody else. That's your job as a Jesus follower. So to be rejected for my faith, there has to be an assumption that we're actually sharing our faith as well. Here's the struggle. And this is... I hope it's not true. Statistically, LifeWay did a study two years ago, 2019. In 2019, LifeWay, which is the research arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, they did some research among Bible-believing, Jesus-professing Christians across America, and they found that in the last six months, people that were being honest said in the last six months, only 55% of professing, Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians have shared their faith with another individual intentionally. See, the struggle is, is let's, let's be honest, and, and I can be part of this camp too. We don't share our faith necessarily as Christians like we ought to and like Jesus commands, our to, commands us to. And so to be rejected for a faith that we profess, we also have to be sharing a faith that we claim to possess. We have to be sharing Jesus with people. And so if we're speaking our faith and living our faith and we're sharing our faith, the reality is, is that we will ultimately be rejected for our faith. It's, it's part of the equation for us, friends. I think this question is so timely for us today. Because I don't know about you, but I've dealt with these questions before. Of like, well, if I actually speak truth into this situation, I could lose friends, family, or opportunity that has been set before me. If I share the gospel in this environment, what if they do reject me? What if they do speak against me? What if they do belittle me? What if they just look at me differently now because I chose to stand for the faith that I possess? And Jesus shines a spotlight on that for us here in John chapter 15. Three sections. If you want to mark this up in your Bible, I would encourage you to do this. First off, John 15, the very first eight verses, Jesus talks about abiding in him. 
He explains to us what it looks like to be in a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, with the God of the universe. He explains to us what it means to remain in him and to have that close-knit relationship. It's that word, abide. Then he goes on in the next nine verses through verse 17 of John chapter 15, and he says, hey, not only do you need to abide in Jesus, but I want to make sure you understand the overwhelming, that God the Fa- overwhelming love God the Father has for you. You know, 11 times in the New Testament, we see this command, love one another. And here's how it works. As a Christian, I've received the love from God expressed on the cross, and then I take that love and I channel it to other people. But this is where it's specific. The command does not say love other people. Christians were supposed to do that. But the command is to love one another. That as I have received love from God, as I'm abiding in Him, I'm supposed to love people who are of the same kind as me. Others believers in Jesus. Friends, we got way too much backbiting and backstabbing in the church universal today. We need to take this command to heart. That Jesus has loved me, so I'm going to love other people. I'm going to express love to other people. We need those two things to deal with the last section of John 15, where three times in one verse we see the word hate. Three times, one verse here, we see the word hate in verse 18, where Jesus tells us, if you abide in me, which means you are living, sharing, and speaking your faith as a Christian, and you choose to be part of Christian community where you love other people to the depth of your being because you've been loved by God the Father, and you're living those things out as a Christian, you need to anticipate that the world will hate you. They will be opposed to you. But what helps you stand is love from the Father and love from other Christians. That's what we need. So let's look, break apart these verses real quick. What do I do when I'm rejected for sharing and living and speaking my faith? Three things I want to give you. First off, expect it. Aaron, that's simple. Yep. Expect it. Look at what Jesus says. If the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. So the first thing we need to understand when answering this question, what do I do with rejection when I'm living and sharing and speaking my faith? I I expect it. It's going to happen. If you're a Christian and you don't experience rejection in your faith, you need to go back to the drawing board and ask yourself, is there something I'm not doing? Because Jesus tells me to expect it. He says, the world will hate you. Look at the first part of verse 18. That word if. That's a conditional statement in the Greek, which Jesus is basically saying, what I'm about to say is true. It's assumed to be true. Jesus said, the world will hate you. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? You thought you were going to get this like super encouraging message and the pastor stands up and like, the world's going to hate you. Yeah, let's go. I love it. It will. Why? Well, that's what he says. The world will hate you because it it hated Jesus. Our our world hates Jesus. You all know that? I wrote that in in my notes on my computer this week, and then the very next thing that I typed was, no, that's not true. The world loves Jesus. No, the world loves the picture of Jesus that they get to paint. The world loves the picture of Jesus that they get to paint. We've gotten really good at cherry-picking the things about Jesus that we like and putting white out on the things that we're not fans of. Our world has latched onto this idea where Jesus said to, to love people. That's true. He did tell us to do that. Our world has latched on to this idea of where Jesus told us to serve other people. That's true. He did tell us to do that. 
But our Jesus also stands directly opposed to sin, which is anything that violates his word. He is astronomically holy so that we could never imagine how holy he is. Our God is a God of justice and a God of wrath as well. He's all about love and serving, but you've got to get the full picture of Jesus. And Christians, when we choose to share the full picture of Jesus, we have to understand the world is opposed to that. The world doesn't like that Jesus. Let's be honest. Often we don't like that Jesus. I prefer the loving and serving Jesus over the holy Jesus sometimes, just like you. The world is opposed to that. But we've been tasked as Jesus followers to carry the message of hope against sin, to carry the message of truth for eternal life to the world. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we said that just a moment ago. We're ambassadors. We're pleading with people. Get right with God. Be reconciled to him. I love what John said in 1 John 3, verse 13. He said, do not be surprised if the world hates you. He's echoing Jesus' words here in John 15. And friends, our, our role as Christ followers when it comes to rejection is to simply expect it. That if we truly live, speak, and share our faith, we are going to disrupt the kingdom of darkness. And we should anticipate that rejection comes our way. Because my Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that Satan's not going to go down easy. You guys remember the game King of the Hill? Y'all remember that? Played that in middle school. You get on top of the playground and like 37 of your buddies would try to get to the top and knock you off. Most of the time, if you were good at the game, you wouldn't stand on top of the playground. When everybody rushed you, you wouldn't be like, okay, 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 okay. I give up, I give up, I give up. You take over. Satan's not going to do that. Right now, the, the Bible says that he's the ruler of this world. He's standing on top of the play set. And our job as Christians is to attack and take out and speak truth and share the gospel. But he's not going to go down easy. It's not until Revelation chapter 20 where he finally goes down when Jesus steps back into the picture and destroys him and throws him into the lake of fire forever. But we choose now to speak truth and to share truth and to share hope and to share the gospel and to do all of those things but expect to be met with opposition. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So we just need to expect it. Here's the second one. We not only expect rejection, but we, we learn to stand in the rejection. We stand in the rejection. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. We also need to learn to stand in rejection. What do I mean by that? I mean, as a citizen of heaven, an ambassador of heaven, 2 Corinthians 5.20, make sure that when rejection comes your way, opposition comes your way, don't you dare give up any ground. Don't give up any ground. Notice again at the beginning of verse 19, you see that word if. It's similar to verse 18. It's a conditional phrase in the Greek, but it, it, it's uh, rather than assuming what is next to be said to be true, what Jesus is doing is, is he says, if... He says, I'm assuming what I'm about to say is not true. So what's he going to say? If you were of the world, what's Christ saying? I'm assuming you're not. If you've chosen to follow me, I'm assuming that you're not of this world. I'm assuming that that's true is what Jesus is telling us. But if you were, we're assuming that to not be true. But if you were, understand that the world would love you. That's one of the greatest tensions that we're called to live in as Jesus followers, that we're not of the world, but we're still sent into it. You might have heard that phrase, in the world, but not of the world. I like this phrase better. We're not of the world, but we're still sent into the world. 
Jesus has still sent us in as missionaries. We're in the world, but we're not friends of the world. James puts it this way in James 4.4. 4. <laughs> Look at this verse. He says, you adulterous people. Somebody needs to give James that Snickers. And it's like, dude, calm down. It's not going to make friends that way. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. How do we sum that up? That you and I are called to be missionaries in this world. But hear me, don't you dare ever bow your allegiance to this world. You're passing through. You're a temporary resident. You're a citizen of another place. Don't bow allegiances here. We live in the world, but don't ever let the world control your affections. And Jesus goes on to remind us here that your life should be measurably different than the, world, the person who doesn't know Jesus because we are focused on a better world. We're focused on a place called heaven. And look at what he goes on to say there in verse 19. However, because you're not of the world, that's true. You're not of the world. But he goes on to say you've been chosen out of it. That as a result, the world is going to hate you. He's echoing what he just said in verse 18, but now he's adding that 2 Corinthians 5.20 line. Let me actually read this to you. I've mentioned it several times. He said, we're ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? We all know this. It means you're a citizen of another country, but you reside in a temporary country. You're, you're, you're the person that represents your nation on behalf of your country in a different country. So we're ambassadors of heaven here on earth. Peter talks about that, that we're citizens of heaven, but we're found here on earth. And then he goes on to say, Paul says, since God is making his appeal through us, what does that mean? It means you're God's megaphone to the world, that God chooses you to be the conduit of truth in this world right now. So you're the ambassador and you're making an appeal on behalf of God. And what are we pleading? Be reconciled with God. That as ambassadors from heaven, we reside on this earth and we plead with anybody and everybody about somebody named Jesus who can save anybody for God's glory. That's our job. And friends, we got to learn to stand in the rejection that's going to come our way. We stand firm when we face rejections because we are citizens of heaven, temporarily left here by our king, shouting to everybody that Jesus saves. And friends, don't you dare. It's only going to get worse. All right, we've all seen it. Don't turn on the news, but if you turn on the news, you've seen it. Christians are going to continue to be opposed. We're going to continue to be rejected. We're going to all of this stuff. Man, you post anything on social media these days, it's like the trolls come out from underneath their bridge and they're like, well, you're the worst person ever. Just everywhere, right? Christians don't give up ground. Rejection's going to come. You plant your feet in the ground. Remember what Paul said? Having done all else, stand. Stand. Plant your feet. Be immovable for the gospel's sake. Don't give up any ground when rejection comes your way. Last one, press through the rejection. Press through it. Verse 20, Jesus said, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. When you want to throw in the towel, when things get hard, when it's tough being a Christian who has actually living, speaking, and sharing as a Christian in this culture, don't throw in the towel. Jesus gives us three reasons that we need to press through. Number one, rejection's part of the job description. It's what we signed up for. Don't listen to some of the gospel that's being perpetuated in our culture today where if you follow Jesus, it's all roses, berries, sunshines, and clouds forever. It's not. Jesus doesn't care about your wealth, health, and prosperity. He cares about your holiness. That's what he's here for. So just understand when you sign up to follow Jesus, 
that rejection is part of the job description. We like to identify with Jesus for the eternal life benefits, but not the, the this life suffering that we might have to endure. You sign up for both. Martin Luther once put it this way. He said, they gave our Savior a crown of thorns. Why do we expect a crown of roses? Oh, somebody tweet that. That's good preaching. Goodness. It's part of the job description. Number two, we anticipate the victories. Look at that last phrase that Jesus said there in verse 20. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours as well. What's he pointing us to? Jesus and his ministry dealt with a lot of rejection. A lot of it, especially from the Pharisees. But you know what else he saw? Some victories. He did see some victories in the midst of his ministry. And as we experience rejection as Christians, when we're living and we're sharing and we're speaking our faith, press through for the victories. Press through for those glimmers of hope that you see in somebody's life that they're so close to following Jesus. Press through for those moments when somebody goes from eternal darkness to eternal life in Jesus Christ. Press through for those moments when you get to see a child go through the waters of baptism because they gave their life to Jesus. That's what we live for. That's why we do this. And Jesus promises us that there will be some victories. Here's the last thing why we need to press through and then I'll, I'll close. Verse 21 Jesus says they'll do all these things on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. The reason we press through rejection, friends, don't miss this, is because we need to have compassion for lost people. That is one of the most lost attributes of the Christian world today is compassion for those who do not know Jesus. Way too often, and I'm so guilty of this, so this is me speaking to myself, I respond with anger to those who don't know the Lord because of how they choose to act and the things they choose to do. That's not a good response. I need to be the kind of individual that responds with compassion. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be running with them. It's only because Jesus intercepted my life that I'm able to do what I do now, that I'm able to, to follow Christ because Jesus chose to intersect my path. Don't forget what it was like to not know Jesus. We need to have compassion for lost people. And one of the illustrations, I used this in student ministry for years. Not once in my life did I ever get mad at my dog. I hate my dog. I hated. I don't have him anymore. <laughs> but I never got mad at my dog when he barked rather than meowed. What? You know, I never looked at Grizzly when we had Grizzly and when he would be barking at the neighbors, I never looked at him and said, what is wrong with you? Why are you not meowing? Dogs should meow. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? What do dogs do? They bark. Lost people are going to act lost. Jesus followers should act like Jesus. You just function according to the nature that makes you up. Don't get mad at lost people for acting lost. Have compassion on them and love them and serve them and be with them and share the hope of Jesus with them. That's why we press through rejection because they're just going to function to the nature in which they possess. I don't know about you, but I believe Jesus can save anybody. And I'm here for it. Three applications points as we close today. It's this. And what areas of your life as a Christian do you need to live your faith this week? Do you truly need to live out so that people see a marked difference in the Jesus that you claim to follow because of how your life is lived? Application number two, in what areas do you need to speak your faith this week? 
In what areas do you need to speak truth into darkness? In what areas do you need to speak hope into hopelessness? In what areas do you need to speak the gospel into places where people are lost and they don't know Christ yet? Friends, can I tell you too, that doesn't mean that you're just going to take to Facebook this afternoon and make a long post and share a meme. It's not what we're talking about. We need to make sure that we're actually speaking to people and getting involved in conversations and meeting people where they're at and sitting face to face and dialoguing about truth together. That's how we speak our faith. And then the very last one, in what areas do you need to share your faith this week? You see, if I'm truly a witness to the things that I've seen Jesus do, as Acts 1-8 says, and how he's changed my life and the things that he's done in the scriptures and the things he's done in the lives around me, I need to tell people. I've got to share the gospel with somebody. And you know there's one prayer. I pray this prayer. I started praying this prayer. Shame on me. But about four months ago, every single morning, I said, Jesus, give me the opportunity to share the gospel in some capacity or have a spiritual conversation with someone today. And you know, as long as my eyes are open and I don't cower away in fear, Jesus has answered that prayer 100% of the time. He always puts somebody in my path. It's just a matter if I step into the opportunity. Share your faith this week. Friends, can I pray for us? God, what a day it's been. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. God, for your word from John 15, God, I pray that it wouldn't fall on deaf ears, Lord, but it wouldn't, it, God, it, it would fall on ears that are, are receptive. God, good soil, as the parable talks about. God, wanting to be the type of Christian that, that shares our faith, that lives our faith, that speaks our faith. God, knowing rejection is going to come our way. It's part of the job description. But we press through that because the hope of heaven is greater. God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that your word would just do a work in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.